Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. I'm feeling the love already. Hey, this is pretty cool. You know the one at, um, this thing at Elevation on the Gold Coast rocks like crazy and you just touch it and it goes, and you're watching your notes going like this. So you guys are really organised. I've got to say, take my hat off to you. Well, welcome. For those of you who don't know me, yeah, my name is Marshall. And uh, it's great to be here. I've only been to Sydney. I've never been to this church. I've only been to Sydney five times in 54 years. And uh, I'm terrible at technology. And boy, did I get lost from the airport to here. (laughs) It said it'll take 42 minutes to get here. And it took me almost two hours. I ended up in the city. So I got lost three times on the way here, but, uh, but that was last night, so I gave myself plenty, I said the miles, miles, you've got to give me lots of time to get there, because I am not very good with technology, I know, it's sad, isn't it, but uh, boo-hoo. But how awesome is this movement giving $20,000 to Ukraine, and the things that they're able to do to help people over there, and how awesome to, to help the Solomon Islands out, you know, every student that goes to that Bible college. I've been to the Solomon Islands, to the Bible college, and every student that goes and commits themselves for a year that, you know, that people sponsor for them to go there, they actually plant a church. They don't just go and get knowledge. They actually go out and plant, use that knowledge that they've got. I just think that's such a worthy cause, such an amazing cause for the kingdom of heaven and touching people's lives. So today, um, well, yeah, I, I have been married for almost 30 years come October. I do have two children and one grandchild, and, uh, and I've just, we've just, um, we, we are now carers for a foster daughter who's 16 years old, Sarah, and we've been doing that now for about nine months, uh, four months full time. And it's just a privilege and an honour, you know, when we are her 16th family that she's been with, you know, in six years. And uh, just, it's just amazing what you can do when you love people, you know. And I tell you, it's a, it, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint when you go to help people. And I just thought I'd throw that out there. But uh, it's pretty exciting. We're talking about relationships. This church has been on a series called Relationships. And I get the privilege and the honour to talk about that today. And uh, because that is what it's all about for me. You know, having a relationship is the best. That's it. I'm finished. <laughs> it's true. It, it, it is the best because being a follower of Jesus, you know, he is the hope of the world. Here's the hope of my life. Here's the hope of people that are broken. Here's the hope of people who are successful. Here's the hope of the world. And it is the best. Everything about being a follower of Jesus is about relationships. You know, and the reason why is because God's a relational God. You realise that? He is a God of love. In fact, he he says in the Bible that God is love. So I really hope... Something that I've observed over my Christian walk. Now, just a little bit more about myself. I'm a, I'm a plumber by trade, okay? It may have been, you know, serious to you, but it was bread and butter to me. Um, boom, boom. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't get that. Anyway, it just wasn't funny, right? It was a bad dad joke. Um, and at the moment, I run a lawn mowing and home maintenance business uh, whilst I still help out. I don't, I'm not the senior pastor of the church up there. I, I'm just... A shepherd. I'm a pastor. I'm purely a pastor, actually. I'm, I'm not a business operator, really, but I, I just love people. I just love God and I just love people. I just love to gather people and just get around them and encourage them. So I'm hoping today that you'll be encouraged. It's, I've heard that Christianity is caught more than it's taught. So I really hope you catch something in the spirit 
you know, that you get a vision for yourself, that you see something. What are you going to see today? Ask yourself, what am I going to see today? What can I see, God? Show me something, God. Don't just come and put your bottom on a seat. I was going to say bum, but that wouldn't be right. (laughs) Put your bottom on a seat, but come and be a part of what's going on. You know, and find out, God, what is it that you want in me? What is it that you're doing? So in the book, in the Bible, in the book of Mark, chapter 12, verse 30 and 31, Jesus pretty much sums up the main part of what the, the main point of what the Old Testament is about. And says there, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Can we pray? Father, we just commit this time to you this morning. I just thank you, God, that, Lord, that you're a God of love and of power. And I ask, Lord, that you would reveal to us, Lord, something fresh today, God. We want something, uh, Lord, so that we can apply it to our lives and change this world. So, so, Lord, I just pray that your presence would be here. Lord, we lift the name of Jesus up. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we honour you today in Jesus' name. Amen. So being a Christian is about relationships, is about loving God and loving others. A bit of a fun fact, okay? You can't love someone in a rush. You know, love and hurry are like oil and water. They don't mix. It's true. That's a fun fact. But let me remind you, some of us in such a rush, I've just driven from the airport to here last night. Everyone's in a rush to go somewhere. But love is not like that, okay? You've got you to gotta slow down. One thing you find when you read about Jesus, he always had people who wanted to follow him. He always seemed to have time, didn't he, for people. That was our Jesus. That's who we model our lives on. That's because God's love is just so amazing. It, you know, it's so attractive. It's so contagious. You know, contagious. Who likes to hang around miserable people? No. Who likes to hang around generous, loving people? Yes. Contagious people. Jesus' love was just so contagious, so generous, so powerful and so complete. That's who God was. That's who Jesus is. God wants our lives to be like that as well. He wants our lives to be conduit. You know, when you're an electrician, any electricians in the house? When you're an electrician, you run conduit, which is like the plastic pipe. And then they, they push their, their uh, leads or their wires through that conduit. God wants us to be conduit. He wants us to be like a, an open vessel. You know, earlier this year, I was, as I was worshipping one day, God said to me, Marshall, that's my name. He said, Marshall, he said, when you open your arms like a funnel and you surrender to me, I will pour my spirit out to you as much as you open yourself to me. And as much as you empty yourself out to me, I will fill you. And that's what he wants us to be. He wants us to be like a conduit, not so that we get filled for our own sake, but so that we can pour out, so God can pour out his heavenly realm, this kingdom onto this earth through ours so that we can be his hands, we can be his eyes and his feet and his mouthpiece and we can do something amazing on this earth while we're here. And trust me, we're not here for very long. I'm learning that. (laughs) I'm getting old. (laughs) Not that old. So God wants us to live our lives like a conduit. Any gardeners in, in the house here? Just raise your hand if you're a gardener. You like gardening, anyone? You may not be a very good gardener. I'm not a very good gardener, but I like to mow lawns. But uh, when, you, when you water gardens, right, you have a hose. That's like conduit, isn't it? 
a hose is like conduits, it's very empty on the inside. It's hollow, isn't it? So that the water can pour through. Can you imagine a hose if it was full of itself? <laughs> if it was just rubber and you plug it into the tap, you turn the tap and nothing's happening, man. Nothing's happening. <laughs> Everything's dying around. I can't understand it. It's nothing's happening. <laughs> and that's like our lives. When we're full of ourselves, God can't pour His Spirit through us. When we're so full of our important meetings or our whatever it is that's taking up time when we could be spending it with God and with others, then it's not that important really. And we're not being effective when we do that. So God wants us to empty our lives out. He wants us to surrender. Why does he want us to surrender? Because people matter to God. Relationships with people matter to God. You matter to God. As I was praying this morning, I really felt... God's impressed to me. There's someone sitting in the back out over here and you feel like you're a faceless, like you're not faceless, but you just feel like, man, no one knows me. No one knows me. But God wanted me to encourage you today, and I'm not sure who it is, but it's someone in this back corner here, that, that God knows you. He has a destiny and a purpose and he, he knew you before you were in your mum's womb and that you are important to him. So I don't know if that speaks to somebody, but I, I hope it does. It probably speaks to all of us really, but specifically, you just feel faceless, you feel nameless in, in the crowd. But God wanted me to point you out, generally, <laughs> that he loves you today. You matter to God. And, uh, and God wants real relationship with us. You know, it says uh, in John three sixteen, most Christians know this, for God so loved the world that he gave... His only son, his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You matter to God. You matter to God so much that he gave his best. So when it comes to relationships, and that's what we're talking about this morning, Jesus is our greatest example. He lifts the bar to new heights and he sets new standards. He sets new levels when it comes to relationships. When it comes to anything, really, Jesus, have you ever noticed that Jesus always goes above and beyond? He says, don't just, you know, don't just love people, but love your enemies, for example. Or he'll say, don't just forgive someone, forgive them 70 times, seven times. No, in other words, keep forgiving them, keep forgiving them. He doesn't just, uh, you know, say, go one mile with someone, carrying whatever it is that they can, you know, back then there's a whole context that about the Roman soldiers. He says, but go two miles, go the extra mile. Go the extra miles. That's the kind of God that we serve, the extra mile kind of God. That's the kind of Christians that we need to be. That's the kind of church that God is looking for. People that are going the extra mile, that go the extra. In uh, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 10 to 13, it's a great example of Jesus lifting the standard and challenging the status quo. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I love this, hey, because the religious leaders of the day, they were saying, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? They were the spiritual leaders of the day. They were the leaders that people looked up to for, for help. Yet they were in their exclusive religious club, 
segregated to themselves and looking down on people. They'd forgotten what God's intended plan was for, for people. That God's intended plan was to, for, to be in relationship with each other, well, firstly with God and then with, with each other. But here we see Jesus, he wasn't exclusive at all. He was purposeful and he went about his father's business. Jesus was nothing like the religious leaders of the day and nor should we be. Hang on, I am a religious leader. No, I'm not. I'm a... <laughs> but Jesus went where people were. Jesus went where he wasn't supposed to go. And Jesus spoke to people he wasn't supposedly meant to speak to. In fact, Jesus seemed to hang out with them enough that he got a bit of a reputation for it. How about that? That's our, our saviour. So why? Why did Jesus do this? Because Jesus has compassion for the lost, the marginalised, the broken and sinners. Let me say that again. Jesus has compassion for the lost, the marginalised, the broken and the sinners. That's what motivated him to come to be among us and to die for us. He came to break the old way of doing things, the religious law, to set us free from being slaves of sin and set a new standard so that we can have a real and an authentic relationship with him. You see, God's not religious. The Father isn't religious and sentimental. If he was sentimental, he wouldn't have sent his only begotten son to be butchered on the cross for our sins. But our Heavenly Father is purposeful and his purpose is to love you and to love the lost, to love the marginalised, to love the sinners, to love the broken. He's purposeful. He's relational. So how does this scripture relate to you and me? He wants, to have, he wants us to have compassion for the lost. He wants us to have compassion for the marginalised, for the broken and the sinners. Because not long ago, you and I were lost. I was broken. I was marginalised. I was definitely a sinner. You know, my testimony is this. I, I, I'm 54 years old and I'm the youngest of seven children. Any young, youngest in the house? Youngest? Oh, you spoiled brats, hey? Hey, that's what I used to always get called. Ah, oh, the spoiled one because I was young. I'm thinking, how is it possible that I was spoiled? <laughs> I was last in the pecking order. I got all the hand-me-down toys. I got all the hand-me-down clothes. I got the hand-me-down, you know, like shirt and jumpers and shoes. I didn't even hardly have shoes growing. It was so hard. No. <laughs> when, when I grew up, we lived in a three-bedroom house in Brisbane. I grew up in Brisbane, Brisbane, I guess. And, um, and uh, we had seven children there in a three-bedroom house, one bathroom, tiny house. And uh, my parents were there, both my parents. We had seven kids and two boarders and a dog. And uh, I, I slept in the sunroom as a kid growing up with two of my brothers. And then, you know, the rest of us were dispersed around the household. And, um, but I, I slept in a cot until I was five years old because there's nowhere else to put me until my legs were sticking out the other end. <laughs> oh, don't laugh at me! <laughs> so spoiled, I wasn't spoiled. <laughs> um, but... 
you know, my, my parents were very practical. My, my mum was a really simple, simple Christian. She was an orphan growing up, and so she grew up in foster homes. And then she met my dad. My dad was a, uh, an ex-World um, War II um, soldier. He fought in New Guinea for six years. And so he was pretty old, actually. Even when I was growing up, he was pretty old. And, uh, but he suffered with PTSD, what they called shell shock in those days. And so he was, he, you know, in his younger days, he was, after the war, he was in and out of um, psych wards, and, and I guess, and where they tried to help him. But when he came, when, when I was growing up, you know, by the time you get to seven kids, you know, the last thing you want to do is hang out with your seventh kid, you know. <laughs> no, so, so it sort of drove him to the drink a bit. He used to self-medicate. And he was an alcoholic, actually. I never knew my dad, really. He was either at work doing night shifts, you know, working at the airports. And when he was home, he he was either at the RSL talking to his, you know, old war mates and getting drunk, self-medicating, you know, been in the old elbow, getting a bit of exercise with the elbow. And uh, so I didn't really know my dad, but my mum had a really simple faith. And uh, she sent all of us. We we went to the local Methodist church up the road in in suburb of Seven Hills, not down here, but in Brisbane. And, uh, and But she sent all the seven kids to, to Sunday school, you know, because she just went to church herself. She was nothing super spiritual. She didn't speak in tongues or anything like that, but she just loved Jesus and uh, had an alcoholic husband who was an ex-World War II vet uh, that was going through the traumas and, and raising seven kids pretty much on her own uh, with no car out in the boondocks uh, back then with, you know. But she had the, the sensibility to send the kids to Sunday school we all went to Sunday school and we all went on our separate paths and my brothers and sisters all went on their paths and seeking life and drinking themselves silly and uh, motorbikes and everything. But I can tell you this, that every single one of us now, the seven of us, are all saved and in church and serving now. You know, it's a, it's a testament to my mum, really, because, you know, she she was... She, she passed away three months ago, but, uh, and my dad passed away 12 years ago. But, um, but they both knew the Lord. In the end, my dad knew the Lord. Um, anyway, so that was my family. So at age 11 years old, even though I'd been to Sunday school, I didn't really know why I was on this earth, in truth. You know, I was doing silly things at, at 11 years old because I was following my brother's footsteps, their example, and just exploring and, you know, having a bit of fun. And, and, uh, but then... A friend of my sister, my sister became a Christian. She's 10 years older than me, Sister Rob, and her, her, she was living in Adelaide. And she sent a friend who was a Salvation Army girl up from, um, you know, to, from Adelaide, actually, to come and talk to... I would oh, come and have a holiday, actually. She was 16 years old. But she sat me down. She said, my, me and my mate Alex Dunn, we, we sat down in the, my mum and dad's dining room and said, do you know what life's about, boys? And I said, you know, I was 11 years old. I knew a few things. And I said, No. <laughs> She said, well, you know, God made man, like made people, to be his children and for him to be a good father. And so that's the way it started. I went, oh, because I knew all the Bible stories, you know, because I'd been to Sunday school. I knew about Joseph in the cloak of many colours. I knew about Moses, you know, the parting scene, Jesus dying on the cross and all sorts of stories, Daniel in the lion's den. I knew all the stories, but it didn't really, I just thought they were like fairy tales. And she said, and what happened was that God made man to be his children and for him to be your dad. I went, oh, I got that. Oh, that makes sense. But then man walked away from God. They sinned and that, that caused a, 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 like a barrier between us and God. So God sent Jesus to pull down that barrier, you know, to pay for the price of our sins. And then he rose from the grave, proved he's God and 
And that's why God made you. And you can ask for forgiveness really simply by just asking Jesus to come into your life and that you believe in him and to forgive your sins. I went, that makes sense. Man, that makes sense. That God wants to be my father. And I, and I was made to be his child anyway. That was my deep revelation of my life, that I am a child of God. That's, my, that's as deep as I go. I, honestly, that's as deep as I go. That I am a child of God and he is my heavenly father and he has a purpose for me. So that day at, at age 11, I asked him into my life. On, um, in May of 1979, he became my Lord, my Saviour, my Heavenly Father, my brother, my friend, my everything. And I can honestly say he came into my heart and he filled me. He gave me a new heart and he filled me with his love. In fact, he filled me with his heart so that now I love him and I love people because that is his heart. His heart loves people. And that's his that's, that's me. I love God and I love people. And that's the way it's always going to be. I'm never alone. He's my best friend. Even when I can't use a stupid phone to get somewhere and I'm lost in the city of Sydney, like in the city itself last night, all these crazy drunk people around me. I was thinking, what is going on in this place? <laughs> but I guarantee today that there are people in this place that are lonely. And I, I would even say in this church, maybe sitting next to you, somebody's lonely. Somebody's, people in this place are lonely. People in the world are lonely. And we have the ability to help change that and make, it different, make a difference in them. There are broken people. There are people with scars so deep. Mother Teresa said, loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world. You see, Jesus commissioned his disciples in Mark 16 verse 15. He said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. My brain works like this, not just to go into it, but while I am going. While I am going to my workplace, preach the gospel. Your actions speak louder than words. You know, sometimes people say, I can't hear what you're saying because your actions are speaking so loud. <laughs> Sorry, you have to think about that. So while you're going about your daily lives, meet the lost, meet the lonely, meet the broken. You know, get in contact with them. When I was 13 years old, I used to go street witnessing in Brisbane. That was, I started going to INC or Christian Outreach Centre as it was called back then. And we, um, we met in a, in a warehouse in West End before they moved to Mansfield to City Point where it is now. And uh, they had this coffee shop on Elizabeth Street and uh, it, was, it was a record shop, Billy's Record Shop. And so they used to go street witnessing. All the youth group used to go street witnessing. And, and I thought, well, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll be a part of this. And I, I got baptised in water and baptised in the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so I was on fire for God. And, you know, I just loved it. And I remember going down to Albert Street. Does anyone know where Albert Street is? Anyway, it's a street in Brisbane. And uh, it's right in the city. And there's a mall there now. But back then there was no mall. And there used to be this Albert Street picture theatre. And... Every weekend, all the motorbike, you know, all the bikies used to line their bikes. Like, you know, there'd be 50 bikes lined up in that little space there. And I remember walking past there and I saw this bikie there and at the, uh, near the cinemas there. And I, and I really felt God impressed me because I was filled with the Spirit and I was really looked, seeking, God, what do you, who do you want me to talk to? And I really felt him say, talk to that bikie there. And he had leather boots on, he had leather pants on, he had uh, a leather vest on, he had a shaved head and he had a face like leather. He was as tough as nails, you know, this guy. And I thought, okay, God, 
I decided I'd always listen to God, but I said, God, I'm listening, but if he, I'll just walk around the block and if he's there, I'll talk to him. <laughs> I did a little deal with him. And I walked around the block and sure enough, he was still there. And I thought, oh, oh, oh. you know, I was, I was 13 years old. <laughs> I said, excuse me, mate. <laughs> Has anyone ever told you God loves you? <laughs> and he looked at me and he goes, no. I said, well, Jesus loves you and he died for you. And he received, like he just was like, I was, he was like putty in my hand. And I got to tell him the gospel, the good news. Now, I didn't lead him to the Lord, but I just remember he received the message that I gave him. You know, this is our time on this earth. We can, we can make a difference. It's our time to bring hope. It's our time to bring healing. It's our time to bring love and strength. In, in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, in the Amplified Version, it says, Now to him who's able to carry out his purpose to do superabundantly more than we could ask or dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes or dreams, according to his power that is at work within us. God created you and I for a unique purpose that predates our conception. Your purpose is bigger and more powerful than you can imagine. Your purpose is his power working within you to love God and love people. You know, when, when you're in a relationship with God, He'll take you above and beyond, super abundantly above and beyond. You know, above and beyond your wildest dreams. You can dream the biggest dream, but that's only the beginning of where God wants to take you. You can have the biggest visions, but God wants to take you beyond that. You can have an education or maybe not even an education, but God wants to take you beyond that piece of paper. He wants to take you beyond your qualifications. He wants to take you beyond that title that you have. He wants to take you beyond your natural abilities. Can I read you a story that I read in my devotions earlier this year? And it's called Kissed and Tucked In. Bob McAllister met Rusty Wellborn on death row. So in prison. I ran a youth ministry for a long time in Launceston. I was a youth pastor in Launceston. Well, I was a youth pastor in Brisbane with, under Ross Abraham for two years. And then I moved to Launceston. I was a youth pastor there for eight years. I only went for one. And then while we were there, we used to um, go street witnessing on a Saturday night. And we'd get up to 15 people saved in a little Launceston, sleep, sleepy long. We'd go into the pubs and talk to people, you know. And, but they never ended up in church. And we thought, this is so frustrating. Every Saturday night, we're seeing up to 15 people saved. And I'm not an evangelist, but I just have a heart for people. And so we thought, why don't we, why don't we start a drop-in centre? They, my, my pastor back there, Rob Simpson, he said, why don't we start a drop-in, oh, a coffee shop actually. It wasn't even a drop-in centre. It was just on a Saturday night and be open till midnight. And uh, sure enough, Saturday night, we opened up this coffee shop, free coffee, had just played chess and darts and things. Uh, and it was just a tiny little thing about an eighth of the size of this stage, little shop front. And then next thing you know, on Monday morning, people are banging on, because I lived upstairs, banging on the door. Let us in, let us in, all these street kids and all these homeless young people and, and all these at-risk young people and older people. And so we thought, oh, well, we'll open it up. I've got nothing else to do, that's why I'm here. <laughs> and it started, for eight years we ran that. From Monday to Friday, and then Saturday nights till midnight. 
For eight years we ran that. And a lot of these young people and older people ended up in prison all the time, going backwards and forward into prison. So we started ministering to people in prison then. I went down to the Hobart prison every fortnight um, along with uh, another pastor, Leanne Murphy. We'd go down there and we'd just chat to these guys because we wanted to build relationship with them. We wanted to keep that continuity when they came out of prison. They had someone to talk to. I could tell you so, I could tell you so many stories, sad stories of and how you can make a difference. We had one guy, his name was Michael. He'd been in prison for nine years. And when he finally came out, he went to visit his mum and his mum rejected him, pushed him out the door. He went and got himself silly drunk that night. And I'd only just met him that day, the day he got out. And I thought to myself, I'll chat to him on Saturday night. Or actually Monday morning, because that was a Saturday night. I'll chat to him on Monday morning. Well, he died that night in his vomit. He choked on his vomit. It was so sad. I thought to myself, I missed an opportunity. I don't condemn myself, but it it gave me a wake-up call. So Bob McAllister met Rusty Wellborn on death row. Bob was the assistant to the governor of South Carolina. Rusty was an inmate. Bob was a Christian man who routinely visited death row to talk to prisoners. And Rusty was one of the worst. He had been physically and emotionally abused and had never known a loving home. He had been on death row for 10 years for a brutal crime crime spree that involved four murders. The first few times Bob visited, Rusty never spoke. He lay curled up on the floor, broken, filthy and unresponsive. Gradually, Bob got him to talk and eventually he read the Bible with him. Weeks and months passed, but finally God broke through and Rusty Wellborn received Jesus Christ. When all appeals for Rusty's life were exhausted, an execution day was set. Bob visited him that night before and Rusty asked him to read from the Bible until he fell asleep. When Rusty's breathing was even and his eyes closed, Bob closed the Bible, crept over to Rusty's bunk, pulled up the blanket and gently gently kissed him on the cheek. The next day he was led to his death. Rusty, when he was led to his death, Rusty turned to the guard who was escorting him and said, it's sad, isn't it, that a man has to wait until his last night on earth to be kissed and tucked in. You see, you and I, we've been given the joy and the responsibility to have compassion and to reach out to the lost, the lonely, the marginalised and sinners. Just as I close, I just want to give you four points of application that you can apply to your life today. Four ways to encourage people and build relationships. It's all about vision. What do you see? My friend Leanne Murphy, who was one of the pastors in Launceston, we used to walk up to the Launceston Mall in Brisbane Street regularly and she'd say, there'd be hundreds of shoppers around. She'd see that person there. She had a lot of discernment. You know, she was really good at that. See that person there, potential youth pastor. And she'd look at an old man, see that person there, potential evangelist. See the person there, potential pastor. You know, she'd, she'd, she'd see things. What, what do you see when you look at people? You know, when a farmer goes out into the land and he wants to see a harvest, often he'll just look at rocks and trees. But he's not looking at the rocks and trees. He's seen beyond it. He sees the crop. He sees the harvest coming in. So what does he do? I just want to give you four really quick points. I know I'm wrapping this up real quick. Probably spoke too, too much before. <laughs> Number one is the farmer will, well, will start where you are, firstly, is for you and I. Break up the ground. 
Break up the fallow ground. That's what you need to do. You need to, how do you do that? I used to say to my youth workers, when I, my volunteers when I worked at the drop-in centre, when you see someone walking down the footpath, down the street, say hello to them. Say g'day. G'day, g'day. How you going? Because you might be the only person to acknowledge them to be a human being that week, that month even. There's so many lonely people. You, you start where you are. Break up the ground, the fellow ground. Number two is use what you have. Sow a seed. Every day I text people. I'll think of somebody. Someone will, like, you ever have a thought of someone? Have you ever had a thought? Oh, I haven't seen them for a while. Text them. Just say, hey, thinking of you. Just said a quick breath prayer for you. I do that every day without fail. I text somebody or I'll ring somebody. Number three is do what you can. Water and nurture. Pray. Pray for those seeds that you've just sown. Do what you can. You know, mow someone's lawn if you... I, I love mowing lawns. I used to. Now I do it for a living. I hate it. But anyway, but I mow my neighbour's lawns. I can't help it. I had a bikey mate down in Hobart that I lived next to. I just mowed his lawn all continually. Mowed his lawn. Mowed his lawn until he got curious. Why do you mow my lawn? Well, as a matter of fact, <laughs> I reckon you're a good bloke. I just thought I'd help you. And he knows that I'm a Christian. It breaks down barriers. Do what you can. Water and nurture. You might be good at cooking. You might be good at random acts. I don't know what you're good at. I don't know you. But anyway, God knows you. <laughs> and the third, uh, fourth one is don't give up because you'll reap the harvest. The farmer doesn't give up. He'll reap the harvest. It says in, and this is a scripture I hung on to for all the years that I was in Tasmania, in fact. <laughs> Well, I only went down for one year and I spent 22 down there in the cold. Galatians 6, 9, Let us not become weary of doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can and don't give up. Can we all stand in this place right now? You know, firstly, I want to I want to pray for people here that, um, with you standing where you are, but I want to pray for people here. You, you know that you can, you can break up that fellow ground. You can see a, bit of a, bigger, a bigger picture. You want to have a relationship with people. You want, you want that relationship with God to be so that you're effective. And that's for all of us, I reckon. But can I have a show of hands? Who wants to make a decision from, from today on? God, I, I want to love you more and I want to love people more. Oh, that should be all of us, in, in fact. And I'm just going to pray a prayer. Put your hand up. Come on, put your hand up. That's it. Why don't we just, like that funnel, say, God, so Lord, we just thank You, God. We, we open ourselves up to You right now. And Lord, we, we ask, God, that You would fill us with Your heart, with Your love for people. Jesus, You died on that cross so that we could have life and so that others could have life. So Lord, we accept that today. Give us boldness, Lord. Stir our heart. Lord, I pray that you, would do a, a, that you would stir this church into action, Lord, more and more. Lord, stir me into action. Stir me into my, to, to help my neighbours, to help my workmates. Lord, to help complete strangers, Father God. Lord, in Jesus' name. And just while every eye is closed and every head is bowed, you can put your hands down now. I wonder in this place if there's anybody that doesn't know Jesus this morning. You say, oh, I haven't even started this relationship with God, but man, it sounds cool. It sounds awesome. Well, I want to tell you, it is awesome. Then it's as simple as this. It's, 
It says in the Bible, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that He'll come into your life. And I, in, in this room, there would be people here today that want to ask Jesus into their life. And while every eye is closed and every head is bowed, I'd like you to raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. I, want, I, want, I need to receive Jesus. Would you raise your hand right now? Would you come to Jesus? I see those, that hand. I see that hand. Others of you, would you raise your hand today? Yes, you can put those hands down. Thank you. Others of you, would you come to Jesus? Would you say, Jesus, I need you today. Can we just say this prayer together? And we're going to ask Jesus to come into our lives. We're going to say it as a church. But for those who especially who raise your hand, you say this from your heart. Dear Jesus, I invite you today to come into my life. I believe you died for me so that I could have life. Forgive my sins and I receive your life today. I make you Lord of my life in Jesus' name. Amen.